Good morning. It's an incredible day to be a part of uh, First Christian Church with Baptism Sunday. I know a lot of people are anticipating uh, some decisions that are going to be made today. And uh, even this morning as we're coming in to get ready for things, people are emailing us, telling us, hey, we want to be baptized today. So who knows what's going to happen in today's service because uh, people, some people have made some spontaneous decisions. It's been pretty awesome to watch that. And some of them have been planning this uh, for a few weeks. But um, I want you to be praying for, if you will, people who are going to make decisions today and as they continue to live out their faith, that they would uh, remain faithful to follow after God, to grow with us as a people and as a church. So it's good to have you today. We want to jump into our series called Mastermind. And if you were a part of last week, uh, last week finished kind of heavy and uh, kind of serious. Uh, If you weren't here last week, let me just kind of give you a a recap. I basically got up and confessed my battle with depression and uh, talked about how I've been going through a journey with some therapists and some doctors to figure out my own personal health and what's best for me and how to be able to uh, address those issues in an appropriate manner, to be able to have uh, people who speak into my life to help give direction to it. And the reason we've been in this series is because everyone needs better mental health. I mean, when we talk about this, the way that we think and act and speak, our emotions, the way we run our lives, uh, we can all do that with a more healthy perspective. But the reality is uh, there is even mental illness within our community that oftentimes goes undiagnosed or unaddressed. And some of us may actually be the ones who are experiencing that. I was a person who was going through that. Just being a guy who was going to get the ball over the goal line, was just going to keep pushing, was going to keep going through things, began to realize that there are some things that I take responsibility for. There are things that I try and take control of. There are things I try and fix in my life and around me. Some of those things have nothing to do with me. But for whatever reason, I've decided to take those on, and uh, it's not been good. It's not been healthy. And as I've looked at that, I've actually been able to go through some processes and conversations with people who can help us better understand how to be able to have better mental health, uh, and first and foremost, through a a Christ-centered perspective. Now, in my own journey, what I understood is this, is that depression, I'm one who experiences depression. Some of us experience some anxiety or uh, issues of of sadness or a a, a myriad of things through worry. We see other symptoms that we may see. But specifically with me in in depression, I've realized that depression happens for people on three different reasons. One is oftentimes genetics. Some of us have a predisposition towards it. Uh, Second of all, some of us are in some environments that would help create a healthy environment for depression to take root. And the third one is bad habits, meaning we, we think in ways that lead us towards that. And that's my case. I uh, haven't always been depressed in my life, but I've been in some environments that have certainly led through some difficult, critical times for multiple years of my life, and recently was sitting with some doctors trying to figure out some better health, and they said, your symptoms... Um, are marking you as having depression. And we began to walk through those conversations and began to figure out nutrition and medicine and things that I need to begin to have as a regular part of my life so that I can begin to grow and become who God wired me to be. Now, the beautiful thing about last week was we talked about this idea that we need to create new neural pathways, that we have the ability to change the way we think. If we pause, if we get some uh, both help and we get some coaching, so to speak, in our in our personal walk, we can change some things. But most of those conversations are, are usually with, you know, a therapist or maybe a good friend. But what we want to begin to really address is where the source of life change really comes from, which is a Christ-centered relationship. 
that the way that we think and the way that we act and the way we speak is not accidental. It should be rooted in our relationship with Christ. And that's why we have been over the last couple of weeks looking at a man's life who needed to change everything from the way that he thought to the way that he lived to his career, everything about himself. And it came through a transforming work of Jesus. And when he experienced that, his life was then sent back out to encourage others, to minister to others. And one of the predominant conversations that he has in every letter that he writes to the churches that he's a part of is this idea of renewing of your mind. A beginning to understand that transformation in your relationship with Jesus Christ can not only just change your day-to-day experiences, but ultimately change your thinking. And a mindset of Christ is much different than the world that we're a part of. And so we began, to, uh, we began to walk this through, really, in some lenses of experiences. We talked a little bit about how our current experiences are shaped. Nobody steps into a, a, an experience as an adult without some sort of experience that's been shaped by our past experiences. Matter of fact, some of you decided to come in here today and sit towards the middle because it's Baptism Sunday and you've sat towards the edges and you want to have a front row seat to what God's going to do today. So you planned ahead and changed it up a little bit. Some of you are sitting on the outside going, well, what's going to happen for me? Don't worry. It's going to be on the screen. You'll be able to see what God does. So current experiences are impacted by our past experiences. And they can be overly positive that we talk about where we get these rose-colored glasses, where we see things not as they truly are uh, and make them more than they should be. And then other experiences that are too negative that become these vicious cycles that we get stuck in. So we ask the question, what's really at stake? And what we talked about is it's our future experiences. That when our current experiences is impacted by our past experiences, who we're becoming, the life that we're beginning to live out, can be impacted as we move forward. And so what we want to do is we want to engage in a healthy mindset. Because when Christ is at the center of the way that we think, we can begin to reframe not only our current experiences, but where we're headed and where we've been. Now, let me just pause for a second. Some of us have experiences from our past that are dark, difficult, even uncomfortable to to address. And I want you to know that even in this conversation, this is not something that we're trying to sweep something under a rug. That's not what God's calling us to. We're not just trying to ignore what's happened to our past. We're trying to address what we've experienced, what we've gone through, and to look at it in the sense of what God might do in our midst, where God might be able to take us. So this is not a conversation where we just say, well, let's just get over the bad times and start living like Jesus. It's not a message where it's like, let's sprinkle on a little more faith and God's just going to work it out. There are some steps. There are some health. There's some directions. There's some doctor's advice. There are things that we need to take control of in our own life, but at the fuel of it, at the source of it all, as Christ followers, is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because we've been understanding this truth in this whole series to be this. Our lives are heading in the direction of our strongest thoughts. From the moment that we got up, So the moment that we sat in our seat today, there have been thoughts, plans, anticipations that you are heading towards to make sure that this happened today. And most of them, I would hope, in coming to church is a positive thing. It's an encouraging thing. It's something that you want to be a part of on a regular basis. But as we move forward in becoming who Christ wants us to become, we must realize that we need to reframe much of our life. We need to transform our thinking. We need to renew the way that we look at the world, the way that we look at our lives, the way we look at how God might use us. 
And so we want to talk about this concept, reframing, today, which is a therapeutic word, but it's a tool that I think we will not only see from Scripture, but we'll be able to take some understanding of how the Apostle Paul actually addresses his dynamic when he begins to reframe the life that he's now a part of. When we define reframing, what we're saying is this. It's creating a different way of looking at a situation, a person, or relationship by changing its meaning. Okay? Now, this doesn't mean that we automatically just erase anything that's happened in our past. This doesn't mean we make something of our past that it wasn't. It doesn't mean that we just all of a sudden arbitrarily put new terms to where we're living. It means we begin to look at it through a framework of how Christ is working in and through our lives and taking the circumstances around us to begin to shape us into his likeness. And that's the framework we want to use. Now, the most common reframing that many of us go through is the reframing of our heavenly father from our earthly father. Now, in a positive sense, some of us have a great view of our father, our earthly father. Some of us have, uh, have such a positive view of our earthly father, he's almost mythical in proportion, okay? And so we end up realizing when we're giving our life to Christ, we kind of feel like we're indirectly giving our life back to our earthly father. That's not healthy. There's only one God for our heart, only one God for our lives. The other is the opposite, the negative view of an earthly father. And some of us have grown up in a very difficult home life with a very difficult earthly father. And sometimes the way we view both positive and negatively can shape how well we really view God and what God would do for us. If we have a father that fixed everything for us, do you know what kind of God we want? A God that fixes everything for us. If we grew up in an environment where, where our, heavenly, or our earthly father has just been completely absent, do you know what we usually think of our earthly father, our heavenly father? We think he's absent in the world that we're a part of. And those become chasms that we have to reconcile. Now, there are some of us that have grown up in a healthy environment with a healthy perspective of, of who our earthly father is. And oftentimes in those conversations, when people have grown up in an appropriate relationship with their earthly father, we see a very natural step towards understanding appropriate views of who our Heavenly Father is. It's an interesting reframework, isn't it? But each of us wrestle with it. And so we're going to look at Paul and the way Paul begins to address his life because he's in a moment of crisis. He's in a moment of conflict. He has gone from being one who's arresting and even persecuting uh, and, and killing Christians to where he has this, this face-to-face encounter with God. God then takes his life, reforms it, reshapes it, throws it back out. And now he becomes a part of the cause of the people that he was arresting. He becomes a Christ follower and is now going back and using his life to impact the world around him. And talk about reframing, he's reshaping, reframing, reforming everything about his life. And here's the truth that we want to unpack today. That you cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. So let's look at the passage we want to look at today. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 1. And Paul is in prison. This is where he is. This is what's going on in his life. And so by all means, you would think of somebody who's living out their faith for God, being advancing a mission for Jesus, that now that he's in prison, he's done. He's got nothing to offer, nothing to do. But that's not the case. That's not what we hear with Paul. Here's what it says, starting in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and for everyone else uh, that I am in chains for Christ, meaning I'm in chains for Jesus. 
And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, I want you to imagine this for a second, okay? So what Paul is describing is he's in a scenario where he is in prison. And so he's pausing to tell the early church. He just says, hey, the church in Philippi, I know we're friends. I know you're worried about me. I know you're concerned about me. I'm in prison. But what I need to tell you is, ironically, this is really advancing what's going on. This is really to our benefit. This is really, maybe has the most possibilities to be able to transform the very world that we're a part of. Now, When we think of somebody in prison, especially someone who's a missionary, we think they can't do anything about it. Well, first and foremost, we know that he's writing a letter and letters are going out. The mail is still being delivered for Paul. And so he's communicating to these church leaders around him, hey, the ministry is not lost. Everything is not forgotten. We're still moving forward. And he begins to describe in this chapter that he is arrested and he's on guard, but he is in a type of prison. He's in a type of imprisonment where literally a Roman guard is chained to him. Okay, And every few hours, that Roman guard is changed out with a new Roman guard. And then every few hours, another Roman guard comes in and gets chained to him. So, you have an apostle of Jesus Christ who's actually on a mission to help win the world, to begin to share God's love with everyone, and he has a chance to be one-on-one with a Roman guard. Every few hours, a fresh subject comes in, so to speak, can we say? So imagine Paul is one-on-one, and instead of getting to speak to the masses, he's now getting a chance to convert the very inner core of the Roman Empire. You see how we're starting to see this? See how it's different? Most of us think because Paul's in prison, he's in lockdown, he can't do anything. Paul says, because I'm in prison, I am connected to somebody that if I win them, and I win the next one, and I win the next one, and I win... We might have a covert revival happen in Rome because of this imprisonment. It's a different way of thinking about it, isn't it? And Paul says, you know, because of this, now other Christians are becoming more confident. Because I haven't quit, because I've stayed faithful, because this is actually creating real change in real world and real lives, others are stepping out. The challenge is... That while Paul is in prison, people have tried to step into his roles or into his authority and take those opportunities for themselves. It's become a scenario where ministry can sometimes be leveraged for people's own benefits. And that probably irritates most of us in this room, doesn't it? To think of a church leader or a church pastor who would leverage themselves in a, in a way to make themselves better or greater or more powerful or of financial gain. We hate that. Matter of fact, that's why many of us don't want to be a part of the church because we have so many things against people who have done things wrong within the church. Let me show you what Paul says. Can I do that real quick? Paul gives a perspective of Paul's friends and Paul's rivals. Paul says, hey, let's just pause for a moment. Here's what you guys are all caught up on. My friends, well, hey, they they share Christ, they share Jesus because of a a pure heart, pure motives. They want to see the world transformed. But rivals of mine, they preach out of envy. They're doing it for themselves, their own gain, their own benefit. Uh, Maybe in some ways that they can stir up trouble, silence me, silence this cause, and make it all about themselves. And you can imagine as church folk, we go, this shouldn't happen. This is right. This is wrong. These things don't need to happen. True. But Paul doesn't spend any time focusing on that. Paul says this, as long as Christ is preached, that's all we need to care about. 
Isn't that intriguing? But Paul, people are, they're, they're, they're saying bad things about you. They're criticizing you. They're taking that. I don't care. As long as the news of Jesus is being advanced, that's what matters. Why? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities of darkness. We understand that there's more at stake in this world. We realize that everybody's lives is heading towards an eternity. We realize that a life in Christ truly transforms people's lives. So ultimately, any press that Jesus gets is good press. So let's just fan that into flame. Let's get all of ourselves out of the way and quit fighting these side issues, and let's really get to the task at hand. Because good things and bad things can all be used to advance Jesus. And that's our goal. Now, that's a different reframework, right? Because in a justice culture, friends and rivals, we camp there. We take sides. We begin to fight for what's right or wrong, what we like or don't like. And oftentimes, we burn a lot of energy in things that don't matter. So Paul says, let's really focus on what matters. What matters? Yeah, I'm in prison. But the guy next to me has just come to faith. And so has his friend. And so has his other friend. And pretty soon, we're going to have a whole group of guards that love Jesus. And guards who love Jesus are going to handle things and treat things and people differently. And if there's anything that can overthrow this government, it's not going to be more might or power or money. It's going to be changed hearts. And so let me give you three kind of reframing things that we want to talk about today to help us unpack maybe what Paul is is doing. Now, these are three applications. They're they're not specific uh, commands from the text. But when you're looking at it through a lens of reframing, this is what I think a transformed mind from Paul looks like. First and foremost, when it comes to reframing, Paul starts by thanking God for what is happening, for what is happening. Not what might happen, what, not what didn't happen, but what is happening. For Paul, some were losing their life for this mission. Some people were losing what they had, uh, their, their homes, their families, whatever it may be. But Paul was still very much alive and still very much a part of the game. But when we come to faith, we begin to realize that suffering and struggling has its place in the Christian life, doesn't it? It has its place in our journey. That's why James, when he was encouraged people of faith, he says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Paul says it to, to the group in Romans. He says, not only so, but we also glorify in our sufferings. Well, but we, I'm sorry, we glory in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. So Paul literally says, hey, you know what? We need to, be, we need to appreciate what God's doing in this moment because God's at work. And even though it's not the direction we want, even though it's not the way we wanted things, even though it's not the way that we planned, God is still at work. So how do, how do we apply this in our own reframing? I mean, maybe when we get into situations where maybe we didn't get the bonus that we thought we deserve, maybe we just be thankful for the fact that we have a job. Or, or, or maybe if you're taking a flight somewhere and you're getting, getting ready to get in your plane and they, they don't let you get on because it's broken down and it's delayed, maybe we're just thankful that we didn't get on the plane, right? Maybe we need to just have some perspectives once in a while where we, we look not just to the brighter things, but to the reality of the moment itself, that there is still more to be done 
for God's glory in us, through us, around us. Second of all, we talk about practice pre-framing to your life. Going in with a mindset, pre-framing how the experience wants to go. Now, Paul talks about this, about the renewing of our mind, to no longer live in the pattern of the world. And he's talking about how we need to step in with an intentional perspective. Paul made the most of his situation. He shared with the guards that were next to him. He empowered local Christians to live out their faith as well. In his situation of a lack of freedom, a lack of resources, a lack of opportunity, Paul makes the most of it. And in that moment, he engages in the people next to him and he continues to write with a perspective that encourages the church, stay at work, be faithful, continue. And so maybe before you enter a situation, maybe before you enter a conversation with friends, maybe it's time to stop and pause and just be reminded that God is good and God is with us. We're not alone in this journey. God is for us. Maybe it's as simple as putting our feet on the ground and saying, today's going to be a good day. Maybe it's a matter of stepping back into your marriage or into your friendships or into your workplace with a different mindset, with a different attitude. And change will not happen overnight. But it won't happen at all if we don't surrender. Third of all, we need to look for God's goodness, not just at the evil in the world. I mean, let's be honest, part of the reason our mindset fails is because there's plenty of bad stuff to look at. There is. Evil is everywhere in this world. And we can look at marriages that are being destroyed. We can look at people that are losing their, their life and their faith and their finances. We can look at abuse or oppression. You name it, it's there. But Paul, in the renewal of his mind, challenges us all to think about whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right, trustworthy. Think on these things. So then Paul says this. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice, for, for I know that through your prayers... Through God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expect and I eagerly hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as Christ will be exalt, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or whether by death. And then he says this, famous verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul realizes that there are people that are shaming him, slandering his name, criticizing him. There are people advancing themselves for their own glory, for their own credit. He's realizing that the church is divided. It's, it's focused on a lot of other things rather than the one thing that matters, which is advancing the mission and purpose of Jesus. To love God above all, to love others as ourselves. One, one person wrote a, a comment on this passage, and what he said was, the important thing is whether in every, in every way, whether in false motives or true, Christ is preached. 
And this gives Paul joy. To, to focus on anything else is to miss the point of this passage. Paul finds encouragement. Paul finds hope that the name of Jesus is getting out there. And so his, his imprisonment does not stop him. His isolation does not make him alone. His muzzling of his faith does not make him silent. He continues to live out this faith. And life can get very, very dark for many of us. But what we need to remember is this, is that we cannot control what happens to us, but we can, can control how we frame it. Can. We can look at things differently. We can maybe look at some of the worst things that have happened in our lives and wonder, not simply why it happened to me, but what God might be able to do through me because of that. We might be able to take situations and scenarios that used to seem impossible to overcome and begin to realize that maybe God is already in the midst working through those things. I think for many of us, when it comes to reframing, the question that always clogs us is the question, why? Why does this have to happen to me? Why do bad things have to happen in this world? We spend a lot of times crossing our arms and focusing on all the negative things that are happening in our world. And I think maybe there are some other questions we need to ask. As Christians and Christ followers, maybe we need to refocus our framework and look to God. Maybe we should ask this question. How might God use me in this situation for God's glory? How might God use me in this situation for his glory? It's a question of motive. Or maybe we should ask the question, what might I do if I were to partner with God in this friendship, in this job, in this scenario? I mean, heaven forbid that we realize that God's already at work, even in some of the most difficult scenarios of our lives, and that God may be asking us to step in and be a part of that solution. One's a question of motive. The, the second one's a question of mission and ministry. Is there more to our lives that God's calling us to be a part of? But the third question I would maybe ask myself is this. Where would my life change if I was willing to be obedient? I mean, that's, that's really the hardest issue, isn't it? Sometimes our past, sometimes our negative thoughts, sometimes our unhealthy mindsets create such an obstacle towards us. What we say is, I can't, I won't. So we don't. But Paul calls for the confidence of what happens in Christians in his struggle. He calls for courage in going through those hardships. And it begins to challenge us with maybe a question of maturity. What might happen if we said yes? These are the questions that kind of keep us heading back into the main thing is the main thing. If we could be, begin to balance our lives in a specific way that we might be able to focus only on God. We would not be so consumed by the things around us that entangle us and ensnare us. I want to use an illustration now. First and foremost, let me say this. I need to reframe my morning this morning. Some, some Cub fans has come and talked to me this morning. And I want to say thank you for the encouragement and for the challenges that you have shared to this Cardinal fan so that I feel inspired to live out the rest of my season. Okay, you know what I'm talking about there. Some people thought I was going to bring this in for discipline. I'm not, I'm not. I think what happens for most of us in our Christian walk is this. 
is that when we try and look at everything that's pointed towards God, what we really do is we focus on the things around us. What each and every one of us want is the ability to have some balance in our life. That's a trajectory and the challenge of where God is taking us, that we could continue to move forward and have some sort of balance, some sort of purpose, some sort of focus, but that really only happens when we focus up, right? So we, we keep our eye on the top, and we can, we can kind of keep life moving forward. We can kind of keep semblance of balance. But as soon as we start to focus on other things, right? As soon as we put this life into God's hands and we start, we start focusing on everybody else, it starts taking off on us, doesn't it? It runs away. And oftentimes the only way that we'll ever keep balance is if we keep our focus up, not on us. The only time we'll keep balance in our lives is when we pursue God, not ourselves. The only time that we'll ever be able to follow after God in obedience and see God do mighty things is when we're focused on him, not on you or me or how much money's in my wallet or the circumstances of our day. And if I was to be real transparent with you, the imbalance of my life hasn't come in because I'm not willing to follow God, hasn't been because I haven't had opportunities hasn't been because I don't love Jesus. It's come because I've been focused on myself or other things that don't matter. Maybe you get that. Maybe you identify with that. And that's what Paul's saying. Is even in some of the most difficult circumstances, he can keep his focus. He can focus on what matters. Prisons don't contain him. Guards don't intimidate him. Circumstances don't define him. But his pursuit of God does. What would it look like if your mindset was not built on yourself, not on your stuff, but was centered on the relationship you have with Jesus? Let's move to our time of response. In just a moment, there are going to be a, a, quite a few people that get up to move to uh, be baptized today. I want to encourage you all to stay in your seats. We'll, we'll uh, encourage you to leave in a moment. But I want to share a, I want to share a note with you today from uh, one of the young men that's getting baptized actually in Urbana. It's been something he's been praying about for a while. It's been a guy that I understand God has been doing quite a bit of transformation in his life. And here's what he, he posted this on Facebook. So I'm assuming it's okay for me to to use. I'm not going to give you his name though. He says, I'm happy to announce that I'll be baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ tomorrow morning. I posted it last night. This, is, this decision follows a transformation in my heart that I believe God has been stirring for years, though I wasn't ready to see his hand. The last year or so, he has driven me to my knees and he's lifted me back up with arms stretched to the sky. My baptism is a public acknowledgement that I recognize that Jesus, Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior, whose grace is necessary. It's even sufficient for me to be able to walk with God. I believe that Christ's sacrifice frees us from sin. Likewise, my baptism represents this new beginning of new life, which cultivates the fruit of the Spirit as described in, in Galatians in, in another letter from Paul. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. My transformation into being a Christian has been personally revolutionary 
in terms of these qualities already. I'd love to talk to any of you about my journey if you're curious, skeptical, concerned, confused, or even celebratory. In scripture, there's one reframing portrait that plays out all throughout the early church. It's through the picture of baptism. Now, when people came to faith, knowing that it's only by God's grace, it is the death, the burial, and resurrection alone that provides salvation for us all. That when we live out a life of faith, of believing in that sacrifice, there's a change of allegiance. There's a repentance that comes across our heart. There's, a, there's words that begin to come out of our mouth that begin to confess not only who we were, but who God is making us into. And then there's, there's this baptism. This calling to identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection through the picture of water, that our lives would be buried, that the old person would be put away, be put to death, and a new life would come. Paul experienced that in his framework. After a blinding revelation before God, through a season of literal blindedness, people ministered to him, care for him, begin to, to, to nurture him in his relationship with God. He surrenders his life and... God begins to use him to call people to that same obedience. Now, there are some of you in this room that have already prepared to make this decision, but I want to talk to a, a few of you that maybe haven't made this decision. Or some of you have said, you know what, um, uh, you know, somebody made this for me, you know, hey, this is something in my childhood. You know, I want to talk to some of you who have never had the chance to make this decision for yourselves. You know, faith is not something you can give to somebody else. It's a choice that each of us have to make. And baptism affords us the privilege to reframe who we are and what our life is about. We are not who we used to be. We are not held accountable for what we used to do. Christ paid that price for us. So now with great confidence, we move forward, surrendering our lives back to Jesus so that he may begin to grow us, to shape us, to take every portion of our lives, to change the way that we think, but to frame it in a way that everything that we are and all that we are about is God and God alone. There are some dads in this room who, who know this is a decision they should make, but they're not sure if they should. There are, there are husbands in this room who are maybe concerned about how this would look in their marriage. They've probably never really addressed this. There are young women. There are adults of all different backgrounds that they make a lot of excuses, if you will, by why they shouldn't. But here's what I want to say. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you have him as your Lord and Savior, it's pretty clear that baptism is one of those expressions that we surrender our lives to. And we say, we believe in God's word. We trust Jesus to be who he is. We surrender our lives out of that obedience. So if you've not made that decision, I wanna encourage you today. We have extra clothes for everybody. And if you're more rounded, like more well-rounded like I am, I brought extra clothes too, so you can wear those. We've got enough for everybody anybody who wants to make that decision. So let's go ahead and stand, if we will. And we're going to do something. 
For those of us that believe in Jesus Christ, we're going to openly share a profession of faith. And specifically for those of you who are about to be baptized, we want you to share this because scripture reminds us that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he's our Lord and Savior, we will be saved. And so here's what I'm going to say. That I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I take him as my Lord and Savior. Now the truth of the matter is, every one of us who have already made that confession and surrendered our lives to God, we want to say that as well. We want to say this with you. But if you believe that truth to be true, repeat this after me that I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I take him as my Lord and Savior. For those of you that have uh, planned to make baptisms happen today, let me encourage you to begin to head towards the cross and head out into the hallway. There are some of you that maybe you're spontaneously thinking about that, but we're going to encourage you to go ahead and begin to head right now to make that happen. You could cheer for your friends if you'd like. They'd, uh... Here's what I love about Scripture is that Scripture doesn't say the guy who gets paid does all the baptisms. The Bible says we're to make disciples who make disciples. And so you will see neighbors baptize neighbors. You will see parents baptize children. You'll see people in small groups stand around and celebrate their small groups because it's people surrendered to Jesus Christ, leading others to Jesus Christ is what it's about. I'm going to encourage you that when we come to our time of uh, response that we're going to, that when if you're ready to pray, to come and do that. If you're uh, wanting to take communion, to eat the bread and drink the juice because you're reminded that it's God's body broken for you, his blood shed for you, and you want to celebrate that life that he's given to you, or you want to respond through the given response boxes, either by placing a connect card there or, or giving of your tithes and offerings. Can I encourage you to do that and to do that maybe right out of the gate? Because what we want you to do is after we get this response time going, we're actually going to uh, bring people back in. We're going to do their baptisms. And it could get a little crazy. But let me just say this. If this decision is tugging at your heart and you didn't plan for this, but it won't stop tugging, would you meet us in this back hallway? Let's not let today go. Let's not let today go on and not make a decision that you know you need to make. Let's respond.